of uh, worship, and it's, it's not a broad study. We aren't looking at every aspect of worship. We aren't going to go through all the elements of worship. Um, it's more of a, for better word, a, a call to worship. Right? That's what we do at the beginning of every service. We call uh, one another to worship uh, by God's word, word. And this is, in many ways, like that. It's a call to worship. Um, and so last week, we began with looking at the one who we worship, the one who is worthy of worship. And this week, I want to shift the angle of our reflection on worship to think about the heart or the attitude that we have in worship and how we foster that. So we'll do that by examining Psalm 84, uh, Psalm 84, which is printed for you in your bulletins, or you can turn with me there in your, your Bibles. Uh, Psalm 84. Hear God's word. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. and The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good things does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Uh, may our hearts cry out as the psalmist that a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And so, Lord, we ask that you would enliven our hearts and give us a longing and hunger and thirst to worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is something in all of us that longs to be home, right? Um, And I'm using home in the very broadest and most general way because I realize our experience of home may or may not be good. You know, it it could be a memory of a childhood home that we love or maybe it's a place that we love or maybe it's a grouping of family and friends whom we love and enjoy. Or maybe it's an ideal that we envision about home in contrast to the difficulties uh, that we find or the painful realities that are uh, in our vision of, or our current experience of home. Memories, good or ill, of any particular home don't change our longing. We all, on some level, long to find a dwelling, a place where we belong, a place where we find rest, a place that is full of love and peace, a place that we can call home. And the psalmist here in Psalm 84 describes this kind of longing. But for him, 
That place is the dwelling place of God, here described as the courts of the Lord or the house of God. And very literally, the psalmist is thinking or envisioning the tabernacle, the temple, the the Old Testament place where God met with his people in worship, where sacrifices were brought. Uh, And uh, there is some question as to the author of this psalm at the title. We didn't read it, but in the title it, it says... Uh, to the choir master according to the Gittith, which presumably was an instrument, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, some of your translations might say, a psalm for the sons of Korah. I don't think it matters that much, except in, in as much as the psalm kind of reflects a lot of the longings of David himself, who found himself outside of Israel, on the run at many times in his life. In fact, he would even find himself in the courts of the Philistines, his greatest enemies, hiding from his own people. So there is some question. Is David the author? Is the sons of Korah the author? Well, no doubt the sons of Korah could also have the feelings of this psalmist. So in the end, I'm not sure it ultimately matters. But what is at the heart of this is, because, is this longing to be in worship of God in the house of worship. And I chose this psalm because I think it's uncommon for us to have this kind of longing and feeling about worship. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we're here because we desire to be here, most of us anyway. I don't know about everyone, but for the general amount of us, I think we're here because we desire to be in worship. Um, Yet, doesn't the psalmist go far beyond this? He says, I want to be here not just because I like it, he says, my soul longs for, even faints for the courts of the Lord. It's this deep longing, an insatiable heartache to be in the presence of God in worship. We might express that kind of sentiment about a home. Envision your ideal home, wherever that is. Your heart starts to ache a little bit in memories of past or in hopes of future. But do we feel that way about worship, about being in the presence of God? My hope is that we might see the blessing of worship, the blessing of dwelling with God, and the wonder that is part of this worship the wonder of what it means for God to dwell with us. Because I I think that's that's at the heart of it. It's it's us going to dwell in the house of the Lord and God dwelling with us as people, to meet with us and to bless us. Uh, What an amazing thing. It's a a wondrous thing, and I want us to kind of get at that. The text naturally breaks down into three parts marked by three proclamations of blessings, three benedictions. And so we'll take each of these blessings in turn. The first is, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. The second is, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways of Zion. And then finally, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The three blessings. So we're going to just break it down into those three parts. So first, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing 
your praise. The psalm begins by declaring the loveliness of the dwelling place of God and then expresses his longing to be there in the midst, as I've already described, in the courts of the Lord, offering up praise. Verse 2, which we already looked at a little bit, says, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. One of the commentators noted that the language here of longing and fainting conjures up the image of a lion in the desert panting. You know, that look and that hungry look in the eyes of a lion who has been out all day hunting or all night and has that singular focus to attain reprieve, to attain refreshment, to attain what he longs for. That kind of language is here wrapped up in in the, the psalmist longing to be in worship. And it was this opening frame that when I was considering which passage to work with, and because, you know, as you do a topical series, you kind of have the whole of God's word to pull from, and I had to choose. And it was this line that arrested me, that caused me to wonder, what am I about? What are we about? What things do I long for as the psalmist here longs with that singular focus? And if I think about something that I do long for like that, does that include the worship of God? Do I desire to be in the midst of his people bringing praise to God in such a manner that all that I am, you see here, my body, my soul, my heart, all those, the the psalmist is using sort of the whole being, desires to come and to worship and to praise the living God. Do I, do, do I desire that? Now, I don't want to be too, too negative when I think about myself, because I look at that and I, I weep and I think, no, I, how, how often do I feel that way? I don't know. Um, I, but I, I, I don't want to be too negative. I do think that for most of us, there are times when we can think of that we indeed feel that overwhelming joy and desire to come to worship. We wake up and we think, that's where I want to be. I, I think that happens for us. But I think there are plenty of other times when it's simply just not the case. And the question then, if this is something that ought to be, something clearly that the psalmist is encouraging us to do, and he does it throughout the psalms, we can see the kind of encouragement to come and worship, to come and praise God. The question is, how do we grow in that affection, in that heart's desire? to come into the midst of worship. How do, we, how do we foster that in our life? And really, it's not just worship, the process. Really, the question is even deeper. It's how do we grow in our affection and love and honor of God himself? Because that's what worship is. It's seeing God for who he is and coming and bowing down and wondering at him. Going back to last week's sermon. I set there before you that object. And my hope was to give us a vision of the one to whom we come and bow down. The one who loves us and calls us his own. The one who laid his life down for us and called us his bride and has beautified us and perfected us. And there is in that process and will that we looked at the vision of Revelation And the only way that I know how to grow in affection of God is to set before us, to set before my heart, the truths that I've been talking about 
over and over and over again. And this brings me back to worship, to the idea of worship. And there's sort of an ironic aspect to it. On the one hand, we think we ought to desire to come to worship. And if I don't desire to worship, then it would be hypocritical of me to come in and worship God. That would be, seem wrong. Uh, my heart doesn't feel like it. I don't feel like it. I'm in a bad mood. Why would I come here and just pretend and make these smiley faces so everybody thinks I'm in a good mood? And we feel that kind of angst of, can you worship God when you don't feel it? I would say this. It is only in and through worshiping God that our hearts can grow and expand to such a degree as the psalmist has here. That, that's the sort of irony of it, right? The sort of reciprocal nature of it. That and if we say, well, I'm just going to wait till I feel as though my heart is ready to come to worship, then I'll be able, I'll be prepared, I can come in and then I can worship God. But until that comes, it's probably wiser for me not to be the hypocrite. Not to worship with my lips while my heart is far from God. Now, see, that's a real concern, right? Scripture has a real concern with that. We don't want to be too nonchalant. There's a real concern with false worship, with hypocritical worship. But there's also another equally dangerous cavern to fall into, and that is to seek the feeling rather than to seek God. Right? To seek the experience of worship rather than to seek the one who calls us to give him praise and glory and honor, the one who is worthy of worship. And so, again, I need to be careful because on the one hand I'm saying, I'm talking about fostering and growing our affections toward God. And then on the other hand, I'm saying, don't just seek the feelings, right? Don't, don't come to worship in order to get the feelings. Feelings are an important aspect to who we are. And they can be a bellwether of our heart and our faith. As Jonathan Edwards argues, holy affections are the necessary consequence of the work of God's Holy Spirit in us. Yet, What we are to seek are not the affections per se, but rather we are called to seek God himself. And in that, and through that process of coming and worshiping the one who is worthy, God blesses it and brings about the affections. This brings me back to the main point. It's in and through worship that we can grow in our affection and in love. And why? Why is that the case? Why is it through this process of worship that we grow? Firstly and primarily, it's because it is in the house of God that God meets with his people in a special way. Now again, I make my caveats. Yes, God dwells with us personally in our hearts. He tabernacles in us. He, he cares for us. He meets with us ind- individually. Yes, we can meet as we come together in small groups and we study God's word and we pray together. Yet God has ordained, as a means of his blessing, this corporate worship as a way for him to meet with his people. 
distinct and necessary. And it is in this place that we gather to listen to God through the preaching of the word. It's here that we see, touch, and taste the visible word in the sacrament. It's here as the gathered people of God in worship that we confess together our faith once for all given to the saints. It's here that we come together and we fellowship with one another. And it's here that we lift up our voices in prayer and praise together, uniquely. And Christ meets us. He draws near to us. And he applies the gospel to us. As a body. As worshipers. We see this pattern of gathering for worship from the Old Testament times. Jesus in the synagogue and in the temple and in the period of the early church. And we saw it at the very end, right? In the glorious vision of the throne room of God in Revelation. When Christ comes again, we'll be gathered together to worship. God's people gathered to meet with God and for God to meet with his people. You see, fundamental to growing in love and affection for God is dwelling with him. And isn't this true of every relationship? I do not know a marriage that survives if husband and wife do not dwell together. They're not intimate with one another. If they're not talking to one another, if they're not sharing joy with one another, if they're not expressing their love and affection to one another, no marriage survives if if the two are separate from each other, right? And again, in the mystery of God's paradigm, he's called us as a body to worship, to come together as his bride. That picture of the bridegroom and the bride coming together in intimate fellowship. And here's the thing, whether the feelings are there or not, and I would say this is true of marriage as well, whether the feelings are there or not, when you invest in one another, especially when the feelings aren't there, it's that process that grows you together. And it's similar, and it's by analogy the same in worship, as we come together despite our feelings, and we come here to to proclaim the glories of Christ, the objective truths of who he is and what he's done, it is through that process that we grow. I want to read a little quote from C.S. Lewis, because who doesn't love to quote C.S. Lewis? Uh, He wrote a letter to his uh, goddaughter uh, on the occasion of her confirmation. So she was being confirmed in the church, and Lewis said this. He said, don't expect, I mean, don't count on and don't demand that when you are confirmed or when you make your first communion, you will have all the feelings that you would have. You may, of course, but you also may not. But don't worry if you don't get them. They aren't what matter. Now, he's not saying they don't matter. He's just saying they aren't the heart of it, right? The things that are happening to you are quite real things, whether you feel as you would wish or not. Just as a meal will do a hungry person good, even if he has a cold in the head, and which will rather spoil the taste. Our Lord will give us right feelings if he wishes. And then we must say thank you. And if he doesn't, then we must say to ourselves and to him that he knows us best. The line in there that struck me most was this, this. 
There are things that are happening to you that are quite real things. When we come to worship, and we gather together, and we proclaim the realities of who God is, God meets with us, and He blesses us. Our meeting here, CCPC in a school with 80-odd people, is just a small picture of the home that Christ is preparing for us, where he will dwell with us perfectly, and we with him. And all our affection will be rightly ordered. We will love him with all our soul and all our strength, and we will join that heavenly chorus singing, Hallelujah! But until that day, he has given us this temporary home to help shape us. And in this home where the voices of God's people sing praise to God, there is blessing. Someone asked in Sunday school, what is, it? What is blessing? It's God saying, he's, he's proclaiming to us his goodness. He's pouring on us his goodness. He's saying, I'm giving you my goodness to you. His blessing. There is goodness from God. Because the thing that makes it a home when we come here together are the residents, right? There's no home without residents. It's just an empty shell of a house. But it's a home when there are people. And in the case of this house, it's the dwelling place of God himself with his people. It's God with us and we with one another. That's the home. And it's in this place of worship that God meets with us to bless us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 4, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. The invitation has come, and worship, receive the blessing of God. Second, blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways of Zion. You'll notice in the text that the first and third stanzas of the psalm end with blessing. But this middle stanza opens with blessing. The psalmist here is painting a picture of the pilgrims headed to worship in God's temple. And this was a a reality for the people of Israel. Not everybody lived in Jerusalem. There were tribes in all different parts of, of Israel. And what would they do? They would have to travel on the high holy days to come and make sacrifice at the temple or for whatever other reason to make sacrifice. They would have to make that journey over hill and dale through whatever trial, to get to worship, to get to the temple. And there were probably trials along the journey, physical trials for the ancient Israelites. And here, the psalmist is painting this picture of the challenge of getting there. And he begins by saying, Blessed is God who bestows on the pilgrims headed to worship. Blessing first. And I like this. Why first? Because people needed the blessing to make it to worship. They needed God's pronouncement of goodness. They needed God's strength to make it to worship. Notice here in the text, it says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Oh, sorry. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. God was sending them off to worship with a blessing. Sending them out, saying, Blessed are you who realize that your strength comes from me. 
And then there's this challenging little thing that says, in whose heart are the highways of Zion? I think the sense of it is that the pilgrim in this picture of the one who's blessed has set his heart on going to worship. Come what may. Whatever happens to me, I've set my, I've fixed my eyes. I'm trusting in the strength of the Lord to provide me. He has blessed me and I am walking towards Zion to worship God. Come what may. And then the text goes on and it says, As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Again, we have to do a little bit of work here to understand the text. The translation of Baca is a bit uncertain, but likely it means the place of weeping. The valley of weeping. So the psalmist is saying that even though they walk through the valleys, the valley of weeping, the challenging things that would naturally prevent them from getting to worship, though they go through that place, as they march through, they transform even those places of weeping into places of life and blessing. Springs flowing. You can picture maybe a valley that was dry and deserted. There, was, there is, in, in, in the Middle East, these wadis that only fill up during the rainy season, right? They, they only, the river only comes when the rains flow. And that's the picture, is as they walk through this difficult valley, and they have their thick eyes fixed on getting to God in His temple, and as they sing God's praise, as they do in, process, in procession up to the worship of, at the temple, as they do this, they are filling those valleys with water. That's the picture being painted. Rather than being thwarted by the trials, they press on from strength to strength as they move in procession to worship And at the end of the stanza, the psalmist turns to God. It's like he's observing. So you can picture the psalmist. He's looking down at Israel, so to speak, and he's seeing the streams of people heading to the temple through whatever valley they face. And he says these last words. He says, hear my prayer. Give ear. What is he praying? Lord, help me to worship Help me get to worship. Help me get to your presence, O Lord. There are many things that can keep us from worshiping God. From gathering together. Sickness, grief, trials of all sorts, weariness, busyness. You name it. There are a myriad of things that can keep us from gathering in worship. And I wonder... If when we're faced with the various hindrances, whether we cry out, help me, Lord. Help me. I don't feel like going to worship today. I, I had a fight with my spouse. My kids were being a terror. I, I had a hard week at work. I have almost no energy. Lord, help me get to worship. Because I know in that place there is blessing. Help me not just to be physically present, but when I'm here, help me to worship you, to see your goodness, to see your grace. Lord, help me engage my heart and my mind with you. Help me not be distracted. The psalmist takes encouragement 
I think he looks out across the stream of worshipers who head to Zion from strength to strength, turning the dry valleys, the valleys of weeping into places of flourishing. And he looks and he says, oh, I'm encouraged. I see the other saints going to worship. Lord, help me worship. A question. Do we encourage one another in worship? By our example of trusting in God to help us, do we do, we do it just by showing up? Sometimes it's as simple as that. I, I know this is a hard thing. I'm just going to show up because I know that in this place I will meet God and it is a blessing for me and for the people around me. And so I'm going to do that week in and week out. And hopefully others will see that this is an important thing in my life and I think it's desperately important for everyone else. And I'm going to do this week in and week out. Do we encourage one another with our example? Do we encourage one another through our prayer? Are we praying for each other? When we don't see somebody in worship and we, we, we wonder, oh, I wonder where so-and-so is. I haven't seen them recently. Oh, well. Do we call them or text them and say, how you doing? How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? What's going on? Do we come alongside pilgrims stuck on route? Or pilgrims is yet to make the journey. As we look around us, many of us come burdened to worship. Sorrows and griefs, trials that we face, sin that wraps itself around us to strangle us. Each of us comes with burdens. Are we coming alongside one another to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to walk with one another? This week, I see a lot of little children in the worship service. And for some of us, that's a hard thing because when the children are in the worship service, it means there's distraction and it's hard to worship. It's hard to engage. Parents, church family. They are some of the weaker ones in this church who need encouragement in worship. They're just learning these rhythms. They're just learning about God. They are learning to say, Jesus loves me and God is God. They're learning all these things and they are weak. Are we coming alongside our kids in the worship service? Before worship, before we even get to church, are we coming alongside them and saying, Hey, Johnny, Susie, we're going to worship the living God. My heart is desiring to go there, and I want your heart to desire to do that too. Maybe we could pray. Maybe we could walk alongside them and come alongside them. One of the, one of the things as a family that we committed to doing, and this is, listen... I want to say at the outset, I love my children. But they didn't come out of the womb wanting to worship, and many days they don't, just as you and me don't. Is that true? And I get a nod, yes. And week in and week out, Aaron prayerfully and I just said, you know what, I don't desire to worship. We don't desire to worship, but we want to desire to worship, and we want our kids to desire to worship. And so in the service, we're coming alongside them, and we're saying, 
can you, can you read that word? Okay, good enough. You read one word. That's good enough. That's good enough for today. We're, we're, we have enough attention to read one word. And if you can't read, can you repeat this word? Can you draw a picture of anything you hear? Doesn't matter. <laughs> Something associated with what's going on. It takes that kind of encouragement coming alongside of, walking with one another as we march in our procession to worship the living God. We are not naturally prone to worship. We looked at this last week. What is our natural inclination to exchange the immortal for the, for the things of this life? Birds and beasts and humans and to worship those things. That's our natural inclination. So what we need to do is to overcome that is to prayerfully humble ourselves and walk alongside one another as we march toward worship, encouraging each other towards that affection. All right, finally, blessed is the one who trusts in you. It's in this last section that we have these glorious words. For a day in your court is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. It's a confession. It's a statement of faith. But there's something else going on. Those words, I think, are familiar to us. And it's this picture of contrast of, uh, of the one who would rather be the least in the, in the, in the courtrooms of, of the worship of God, to be the doorkeeper, the least among the least, rather than to spend their days in the worship of the things of the world, to dwell in the tents of wickedness, to make their home there. Uh, and it's this beautiful picture, a confession. But there's something else going on here. It begins with these words, Behold our shield. Behold our shield, O God. 